Evidence and Answers. You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucrin. Pat is a popular teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Every week, Pat and his friends provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ. This week, we're listening to one of the messages from our recent Hawaii Apologetics Conference. Each year, Pat hosts this conference, which features some of the premier Christian scholars and apologists from around this nation. Our theme this year was Evidence of Life Beyond the Grave, and featured noted Christian scholars Dr. Gary Habermas and Dr. Ron Rhodes. Today, we will hear part one from our very own Pat Zucrin in a study entitled, Hell, the Horrible Choice. Here's Pat with part one. We're talking about hell today. Well, the majority of the culture are pluralists and abhor the idea of hell and eternal punishment. Now, the doctrine of hell is one of the most that is attacked in our culture, and Christians often avoid the topic. In fact, when I was at Cornell University speaking in the lion's den, the over 500 students there. The Lion's Den is where I go in there and I present my case why I am a Christian in 30 minutes. And then the students have 45 minutes to fire away any question that they want. And the very first question was, how does a loving God torture people in hell forever? All right. So that's often at the forefront of one of the most attacked doctrines here in Christianity. That's why it's important to understand the doctrine of hell. Philosopher Peter Kreft writes this, Of all the doctrines in Christianity, hell is probably the most difficult to defend, the most burdensome to believe, and the first to be abandoned. The critic's case against it seems very strong, and the believer's duty to believe it seems unbearable. Heaven is far more important than hell. We know much more about it, and it is meant to occupy our mind much more centrally. But in a battle and a rape must rush to defend that part of the line which is the most attacked or which seems the weakest. Though other doctrines are more important than this one, this one is not unimportant or dispensable. Now, many skeptics have turned away from Christianity and you can often trace the beginning of their rejection of Christianity to their misunderstanding of the doctrine of hell. For example, Bertrand Russell here, one of the great atheist philosophers, or more, rather more famous atheist philosophers, you can trace his descent into atheism, which began with his misunderstanding of the doctrine of hell. He says this, I do not myself feel that any person who is really profoundly humane can believe in everlasting punishment. I must say, that I think all this doctrine that hellfire is a punishment for sin is a doctrine of cruelty. It is a doctrine that put cruelty into the world and gave the world generations of cruel torture. And the Christ of the Gospels, if you could take him as his chroniclers represent him, would certainly have to be considered partly responsible for that. Charles Darwin you can read his biography and his descent into atheism, or some would say agnosticism, began with his rejection and misunderstanding of the doctrine of hell. He says this, 
I can indeed hardly see how anyone ought to wish Christianity to be true. For if so plain language of the text seems to show that the men who do not believe, and this would include my father, brother, and almost all my friends, will be everlastingly punished, and this is a damnable doctrine. Charles Darwin. Okay? So many of the atheists, you can trace their descent into atheism or agnosticism and the rejecting of Christianity due to their misunderstanding of the doctrine of hell. Now, there's danger in rejecting the doctrine of hell. Number one, the Bible teaches on hell. Paul speaks about this in several passages, and so does the Apostle John. In Revelation chapter 20 writes, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. The Bible teaches on it. Jesus teaches on it. On several passages in the New Testament, Jesus taught on the doctrine of hell. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter like main than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have your two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. In fact, Jesus taught more about hell than about heaven. If hell is not true, then the Bible would be false Jesus would be a liar. If we reject the doctrine of hell, then what else would we also reject? Charles Russell, the founder of the Jehovah Witnesses, slid into that particular cult, and one of the things that led him there was also the doctrine of hell. Okay? So this is, although a tough doctrine, it's one we cannot reject. Now, there are several reasons why hell is necessary. First, it fulfills God's justice. Okay? It would be unjust for evil to go unpunished. And in the end, God is victorious and must defeat evil and quarantine it in a place that is away from him. God being holy cannot have sin in his presence eternally. The price was paid upon the cross those who reject that gift remain in sin and God's justice and righteousness and holiness demands that they remain out of his presence quarantined in somewhere separate from him in a place called hell and if so be that it is a righteous thing with God to recompense affliction to them that afflict you and to you that are afflicted, rest with us at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven, with the angels of his power and flaming fire, rendering vengeance to them that know not God 
and to them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall suffer punishment, even eternal destruction from the face of the Lord and from the glory of his light. So if you don't want God now, God honors your decision and allows you to be in a place completely separate from him. God's justice requires hell. Man, human depravity demands hell. God is absolutely holy and cannot have sin or evil in his presence. Those who have Christ have their sin cleansed and dealt with. Those who do not, therefore, cannot enter into the presence of a holy, perfect, and righteous God. Heaven would not be heaven. It was filled with sinners who still had their sin nature. That would not be heaven. And if you don't want to be with God now, He's not going to force you to be with Him for all eternity. And there's good reasons for that that we shall cover. Human dignity requires hell. Men have chosen to reject God. He respects their freedom and their dignity, and He will not force them to believe. And if they don't want to be with Him now, He will respect their decision and allow them to be separated from Him for all eternity. Hey, God treats the choices of people as significant and allows them to choose for Him or against Him. And He honors their decision that if you don't want to be with God now, He won't force you to be with Him forever. And the cross requires hell. And the reason Christ died was for the sins of mankind that we could be cleansed from sin and enter into eternal life with God. That's why the cross is essential to the message and mission of Jesus Christ. And it would all be in vain if those who reject the cross get somehow a free pass into heaven in their sinful state. Now, the nature of hell. Hell was not part of the created order that God said was good. Matthew 25, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Hell was made for Satan and his angels in God's creation. Hell is best defined in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. Perhaps may give us, uh, there's one verse that I had to pick, probably be this one, gives us the best definition of what the nature of hell is. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Hell is described primarily not in spatial terms but in relational terms. Hell is a place that is away from God. It's also separation from love and anything of real value, away from the type of life and joy that we were always meant to live. Therefore, it is a place of sorrow, of anguish and regret. If God is the source of joy, He is the source of life. To be away from Him means that we'll lose all of that. Since the body is resurrected with the soul, there will be mental as well as physical anguish in hell. 
it's a place where people are tormented. Okay? They're not tortured by God. They're tormented because we are separated from Him. And we've lost all that was all that life was ever meant to be has been lost. And pain is from the sorrow and anguish we feel from knowing that the punishment is final, it's ultimate, and it's unending. Hell is described in Matthew as a place of everlasting darkness. It's also described as a place of eternal fire. Okay? Matthew chapter 25. Okay? That's a tough one to put together, right? How is it a place of darkness, yet a place of eternal fire? Okay? There's a couple of views on this. Some say that the fire of heaven, you know, is really, it's a place of fire. Others teach that the flames are more figurative, okay? more symbolic describes a place of tremendous pain and suffering and anguish. It's a symbols of divine judgment, of sorrow and of punishment and anguish. You know, if I said to you, man, I'm burning up inside. I'm burning mad. Does that mean I'm literally on fire? No, it means, man, I'm in anguish. Okay? There's great anxiety within me. Okay? Great pain. Literally, the best way I can describe it is I'm burning mad or I'm burning up inside. So some take it that, that the fires are symbolic of the never-ending pain and anguish that's in hell. Hell is described as a perpetual burning dump, Mark chapter 9, because the pain, the anguish, and the sorrow are never-ending, and it's a sorrowful place where the pain never ends like a dump with a fire that never ever goes out revelation chapter 20 describes it as a bottomless pit the abyss first peter 319 describes hell as a prison only this sentence is eternal it's more than a lifetime it's an eternal lifetime separated from god forever and ever. Now, the states of the soul in hell, they're eternally separated from God forever, for all of eternity. They do not know God as their Savior, but they know God as Judge. Romans chapter 2. Hell is a place of torment, not a place of torture. When I was at Cornell University, the first question I was asked is, how can God torture people in hell forever and ever? Okay? If I tortured someone for even a day, I'd be thrown in jail immediately. How can this God torture people forever? Well, the Bible doesn't describe hell as a place of torture. It's a place of torment. Okay? What's the difference between torture and torment? Huh? What's the difference? Yeah, which one is imposed from so on somebody from the outside? Torture. Torment, as Jake Rice states, comes from within. Alright, so God doesn't torture people in hell. They're in torment. It comes from within. That's why it's a place of torment. They've chosen to reject God. Therefore, God respects their choice and they're in a place away from Him where they are tormented. The pain in hell 
comes from the person, from the choice that they have made. All that has been lost, all that they realize, the joy, the wonder, the love, all that life was ever meant to be has been lost and they must live with the consequences of their decisions and they sit there in hell tormented forever. And it's a pain that comes from within. C.S. Lewis says the fires of hell are created from within the person himself. So, it's not a place of uh, torture, it's a place of torment. Okay? When the rich man saw Lazarus there, he said, so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted and you are in agony. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not come to this place of torment. Okay? Luke chapter 16. So it's not a place of torture. It's a place of torment. It's a place of anguish and regret, as we read in that passage in Luke chapter 16. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, as Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 8. A place of weeping because of such great sorrow. A place of gnashing of teeth because of the tremendous pain that they feel. So when you watch the L.A. Lakers this year, you scan the audience. You see the audience weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right, the Lakers struggle. <laughs> Any Laker fans here? Oh. <laughs> My good friends are Laker fans, so I like to give them a bad time. Right, let's just see. Weeping, pain, weeping, all the sorrow, gnashing of teeth, because the pain is so great. The weeping and gnashing of teeth. When I'm playing tennis, or golf, you know how they're slower sports and you can see your opponent and when they're losing to you, you know, I often taunt them, I said, look at you weeping and gnashing of your teeth, I know you're going to lose, you know, and kind of thing, I kind of taunt them like that. It works, try it, try it on your tennis uh, or golf opponents sometimes. Now, where is hell located? Basically, 2 Thessalonians 1.9 describes it best. It's described more relationally than spatially. It's a place away from God, quarantined away from God. The Bible talks about it that it is below the earth. If heaven is above, then hell is below the earth. Okay? Now, some say, well, you know, there's this tunnel and, you know, or whatever, and I, you know, you hear stories, I put my ear down to this crack in the ground. I heard these voices screaming and all this kind of stuff. Probably not a place down there underneath us. The Bible writer is probably talking about it relationally. Okay? If heaven is up above, then hell is in the other direction. Basically, it's a place away from God. Matthew 8 calls it a place of outer darkness. Okay? Outer darkness. It is a place away from God, outside of the presence of God, outside of the city of God. Revelation 22 talks about 
hell being a place outside the gates of the heavenly city. So basically, it's away from the presence of God. That's how hell is described in the Bible. Basically, it's a place outside of God's presence, away from God, quarantined away from the very presence of God. So God honors the choice of each person. If they don't want to be with God now, He won't force them to be with Him for all eternity. Okay? And heaven revolves around the throne of God. So you can't ignore God. You can't go up there and ignore Him. And if you don't want to be with Him now, He's not going to force you to be with Him for all eternity. If you remember the movie, What Dreams May Come, with uh, Robin Williams and Cuba Gooding. Robin Williams, they go up to heaven, right? And it's his paradise. It's what he has dreamed of. And it's an incredibly beautiful place. And they're in this house that he has imagined. And it's incredibly beautiful. And Cuba Gooding, you know, tears open the wall. And it's a window to just a beautiful lake and a sunset. And they're looking at it. And uh, Robin Williams looks at Cuba Gooding and says, oh, Where's God in all this? And Cuba Gooding goes, I don't know, but he's out there somewhere, each day telling us that he loves us. That's not what heaven's going to be like. You can't ignore the very presence of God. His glory and splendor fills all of heaven. Everything revolves around the throne of God. There we will also worship the Lord. Myriads and myriads of angels and the saints of all the ages worship the Lord. You can't get away from God or the worship of God when you're in heaven. So if if you don't want to be with him now, he's not going to force you to be with him for eternity. To force you to be with someone you do not want to be with, that would be hell for you. Heaven would be hell for you. Okay, so God doesn't force that upon you. I mean, if you know if there was a gal you, or a guy you didn't want to go out with, and your parents forced to be with them okay, all night, I mean, that's like a never-ending torture, right? Imagine, if you don't want to be with God now, He's not going to force you to be with Him forever and ever and ever. Okay? My friend, you know, when I was in Dallas, my friend hates George Bush. Okay? He thinks George Bush is the Antichrist. All right. Now, I don't know what your political view is, but because his company was connected with a big donor for George Bush, the whole company was invited to a banquet for George Bush after he had finished his second term. And so, you know, my friend being part of the company was invited to go. Now, remember, this guy hates George Bush. You know, this guy's the Antichrist, all right, to him. And that night, we were there at the most expensive hotel in Dallas. You know, the only five-star hotel in Dallas. We had the finest food. We had the best music. We had the best surroundings. I mean, we had the best of everything. Okay, but do you, but everywhere around, there was a tribute to George Bush, pictures of George Bush, medals and awards that he had won, accolades to George Bush. And when people got up and spoke, they were highly esteeming and talking highly about George Bush. So even we're in the best place in all of Dallas, you think my friend was having a good time? He's in absolute hell. Um, someone, so he, he had to leave early. Okay, Someone who doesn't want to be with God now, okay, he's not going to force you to be with him forever in heaven. 
Now, here are some common objections we hear here often. Number one, that first one, how can a loving God send people to hell forever? Well, as I said, God doesn't send people to hell. They choose to go there, okay? And if you don't want to be with God now, He's not going to force you to be with Him forever. He honors your choice and He allows you to be separated from Him forever in a place quarantined, okay? in a place called hell. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers, and I hope you enjoyed listening to one of our messages from this past year's Hawaii Apologetics Conference. Our theme was Evidence of Life Beyond the Grave and featured a wonderful lineup of scholars who presented fascinating and inspiring seminars. If you would like a copy of all the seminars from this past year's conference, log on at evidenceandanswers.org and you can order the entire series. Pat is the director of the Pacific Apologetic Center, a subsidiary ministry of the Bible Institute of Hawaii. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers radio show is brought to you by our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions for more than 20 years. To learn more, please visit them at www.hcmlp.com. Join us here next week or on the web for more evidence and answers. Oh, 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 oh